Let's open up to the Old Testament tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 5. There's a little bit of reading in this one, so I hope you don't mind me doing that. I've also got a couple of slides for you. Um, quite often I, I do slides on uh, things about the future, Bible prophecy and so forth. Uh, tonight, though, I'm going to actually take you right back into the past. Uh, but 1 Samuel 5, we need to read the story first. And as I say, I hope you can just bear with me. It's the story of um, the Ark of the Covenant ending up down amongst the Philistines. Anyone remember that story? A few of you remember that? Yeah, quite a few. It's a funny sort of a story, but um, let's just read through it and get the gist of it. Verse 1, And the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. So uh, Dagon is a pagan idol. And uh, they, having obtained the Israelite uh, ark of the covenant, they decided, well, it's a, it's a holy thing. We'll put it in the temple of Dagon. They stuck it right next to Dagon. Dagon's here, probably a big fish god sort of a creature. And the ark of the covenant is right here, two angelic creatures over the top of a box. And uh, there we go. Um, verse 3, and when they of Ashdod rose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morning, the morrow morning, the next morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. In other words, a god decided this was an incredible insult to be stuck in Dagon's temple next to this silly fish god. And so the first night, God, when no one was looking, just tipped him over and Dagon fell flat on his face. And the next night, because they'd stuck him up again, God thought, this is ridiculous. This silly-looking fish god, pagan idol thing. So next night, God chopped off his arms and his leggy things and, and tipped him over again. And this time they put him up, but they left the hands and the, the palms and what have you on the threshold. Verse 5, therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day, uh, because a miracle occurred, in other words. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. And they sent therefore, and they gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them, and they said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. Now Gath's another Philistine city. And they carried the ark of God unto about of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeralds in their secret parts, or hemorrhoids, or some translations say ulcers. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Now, that you reckon they'd be getting a little message by this stage, wouldn't you? It isn't working. Shifting cities isn't changing the problem. But they sent it to Ekron that the Ekronites cried and saying, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and they said, send, is, uh, sorry, send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go again to his own place 
that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city, and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with hemorrhoids or hemorrhoids or ulcers, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Uh, in the Hebrew, it just goes straight on. Okay, no chapters. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. And they said, If you send it away, the ark of the God of Israel, and send it, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering, then you shall be healed. And it shall be known unto you why his hand is not removed from you. And then they said, What shall the trespass offering which we shall return to him be? And they answered, Five golden emeralds and five golden mice. I always laugh inside when I think about that little story. I want you to make uh, the image of five hemorrhoids or ulcers, whatever they are, either way, it's pretty gross, and five golden mice according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was upon you all and upon your lords. Why five? Because there's five cities involved, as we're going to see in a moment. Wherefore, take, make you the images of the emeralds and make the images of the mice that mar the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off you and from off your gods and from off your land. Wherefore, then, do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had wrought wonderfully amongst them, did they not let the people go and they departed? Now, therefore, make a new cart and take two milch kine or two milking cows, okay, on which there has come no yoke. In other words, young milking cows that have never pulled a, uh, any sort of cart and tie the kine, the cows, to the cart and bring their calves home from them. And take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart and put the jewels of gold, which you returned for a trespass offering, in a coffer or a box by the side thereof and send it away that it may go. And see if it goes up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us, but it was chance that happened to us. Okay, you get the gist of what's going on here? He says, let's make a little cart put two freshly, what's the right word, cows that have just had calves, heifers, heifers is that the right word? Heaven hasn't had calves. It's two that have had calves. What's the right word? Cows. <laughs> Not very complex. Put two young cows at the front, hook them up, put the Ark of the Covenant on the back, put a little box behind that that's got your five golden hemorrhoids and your five golden mice as an offering to the God of Israel and send the cart back, but hang on to their calves and see what happens. Will the cows come back to the calves and then we'll know it was just an all an accident or will the cows head up to Israel away from their calves and it's some kind of miracle? That's what the Philistines are trying to work out. Make sense? Verse 10, and they did so. And the two milch kine and tied them to the cart, and they shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice of gold and the images of the emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh. Now, Beth Shemesh is the first Israelite city that you reach as you go up uh, that particular valley. It's a, it's, a, it's a valley with a river in it, okay? It's the very first Israelite city that you reach. 
I'll explain in a moment. And they went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and they saw the ark and they rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua, a Beth Shemite, an Israelite from Beth Shemesh, and stood there where, they, where there was a great stone and they claved the wood of the cart and they offered the kind of burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it, wherewith was the jewels of gold, and put them on the great stone and the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. So they're very happy to get the ark back. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord. For Ashdod, one. For Gaza, one. For Ashkelon, one. For Gath, one. For Ekron, one. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both of fenced cities and of country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel, whereon they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua, the Beth Shemite, uh, and so on. Down to verse, say, 20. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall we go up from us? Or how are we going to send the ark further on from here? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kirjath Jerim, that's further up into Israel, saying, the Philistines have brought the ark of the Lord. Come down and fetch it up to you. Now, it's a long story. Sorry about that. Two chapters. Um, but it, it covers a really interesting topic. Now, you can just imagine that most people getting this funny little golden box with the two angels over the top, capturing it from Israel, would think to themselves, hey, it's gold. Great little, you know, souvenir of our last war. Boom, boom. It's ours, belongs to us, except it's actually God in a type. I want to talk about that just in a moment or two. And as such, there was no way known on earth that God was going to let them, the, the pagans, get away with having his holy box down amongst the Philistines. But before we do that, can I make a little uh, diversion? Can I have the first slide up, please? Okay, now... Uh, for those that kind of remember roughly what Israel looks like in the olden days, there's the ocean down there, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, there's That's the far eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Egypt's down here somewhere. Uh, Greece is over about here. Italy's about here. Spain's about here. And Great Britain's just over there. Okay, so that's where we are. There's Jerusalem. I've circled it for you. Now, Jerusalem, how far is Jerusalem from the coast there, the capital of Israel? Roughly, just roughly. It's about 50 kilometres, 50 kilometres. It's not far. 50 kilometres is, is Morley to Rockingham. So it's not a big country. People think it's a big country. It's not a big country. It's a tiny country. It's only 50 kilometres. Now, where was the first place that the Ark of the Covenant ended up after the war. Who remembers? It was there at Ashdod. Where did it end up when the Ashdodites got fed up with it? What was the next place they ended up? 
Gath, just across there, Gath. And as you can see, they're not far away. That's only maybe 10 kilometres, 15 kilometres from there to there. Where did it end up next when they got rid of it? Because the Gathites said, no way, we don't want this. It's, everybody's dying with it. Do you remember? It ended up at Ekron. Ekron. Now, can you see the other two towns that are mentioned back in chapter, uh, where was it, chapter 6 and verse uh, 17? Uh, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. See the other two towns? There's Ashkelon down there, and there's Gaza down there. And they're all Philistine towns. In fact, that whole region from there around here, right down to the border with Egypt down here, is a Philistine territory. Was in the Bible days, and by the way, it still is today. That's what is known today as the Gaza Strip. It still exists today. In fact, I love the way one of the verses said there, uh, as it is unto this day. In other words, everybody knew about this big stone in Beth Shemesh where they'd stuck the Ark of the Covenant on top of when it came back to Israel because they said the stone of Joshua is there to this day. Now, when did this all happen, this story here, do you know? You've got to go back just over 3,000 years, about 3,060 years ago, roughly, just over 3,000 years ago. We're in the year 2022, and this happened roughly about 1,040 or so BC, roughly. And I'll ask you a question. Do you reckon any of that stuff is actually still there today? That's Gaza today. That's Ashdod today. That's Ashkelon today. All the three seaside cities not only are still there, they just grew and grew and grew and grew. That is Ekron today. Ekron, as I showed you on the map a moment ago, Ekron didn't continue as a city, but we know it is actually Ekron because they dug up what's called a steel a royal dedicatory steel, and it tells us that this is the city of Ekron, the Philistine city of Ekron, so that these ruins here are actually the old Ekron, which if you're going to put money into real estate, tells you straight away, the stuff that lasts is next to the ocean. <laughs> just a little thought for you. Gath today is also in ruins. Gath is just a, a tell. Now, we aren't 100% sure, but we're 99% sure this is Gath today. It's ruins. It's a tell in Israel, same location. And again, we've got all sorts of bits and pieces that they've been digging up for quite a while. And they're the five cities. Uh, as I say, Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Gath. Remember Goliath of Gath? That's where Goliath came from, Goliath of Gath. Now, that's another map showing you the same five cities. Now, can you see there Beth Shemesh? Beth Shemesh is there. Okay, it's straight up the valley, Sorek here. That's the Sorek Valley up there. It's straight up. So you're going from the ocean over here up towards the hill country here. This is all hill country up here. So you're going straight up towards the hill country. And Beth Shemesh is the first Israelite town that you get to. It's about 30 kilometers from the, from the ocean. And this is where that road air would be where the Ark of the Covenant actually went from. Beth Shemesh, is it there today? You betcha. 
it's a modern town, Beth Shemesh. That's it up there. And you see it's the beginning of the hill country of Judah. That's Beth Shemesh today. But what's even more intriguing is, can you see these little ruiny things here? If I just draw out a little bit. Okay, that's the modern city up there that I just showed you. And that's the ruins of Beth Shemesh 3,000 years ago. It's still there. In fact, they're doing a lot of excavation at Beth Shemesh, and they have done for the last few years. They've found all sorts of stuff there. There are obviously buildings and uh, farms and farmlets and what have you. There are big water cisterns. There are caves and what have you. Uh, there's lots of old pieces of writing and pottery and what have you. And you can walk all over it. It's actually a public park area, so you can go all over it now. Beth Shemesh. And they, three years ago, they discovered this. This is a temple to something really, really important. And it has a big table in the centre here. They're not sure quite what it is yet, but it may be associated with the Ark of the Covenant arriving there, I don't know. But whether it is or it isn't, it's actually all still there today. Well, the people said. Just leave that little thought there. Let's get back to the actual story, though, for a moment. I think that's all I have for you there, yes. Back to the actual story here, 1 Samuel. So we read in verse 19, chapter 6, well, chapter, chapter, chapter 6, verse 17, these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering to the Lord, for Ashdod, one, for Gaza, one, for Ashkelon, one, for Gath, one, for Ekron, one. Uh, so there's the five cities we just described there and you saw. Verse 9, verse, uh, uh, verse uh, where are we? Verse 19, and he smote the men of Beth Shemesh. That's Beth Shemesh. We just saw it ourselves. That's Beth Shemesh because some of the Beth Shemeshites picked the lid off the Ark of the Covenant to have a bit of a sticky beak inside and you weren't allowed to do that. That was very, very naughty. And the Beth Shemeshites were saying, for goodness sake, this is a bit dangerous to have too close to us. Can somebody please take this Ark of the Covenant away? Go over to John chapter 1 if you will for a moment because there's lots of little principles that are actually contained in this story and I'm not going to spend hours going over this. That'll take too long. But John chapter 1 brings us the story of Jesus Christ from a, a slightly different perspective. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Uh, we see a little further down in the same chapter in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ. Obviously, we're talking about here. Back in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And this is, a, if you like, the story back in Samuel is a little bit of a type of Jesus Christ, the Ark of the Covenant. I say the Ark of the Covenant is a good representation of Jesus Christ for lots of different reasons. But if you remember back when Moses used to talk to God, he would go into the tabernacle and it says that the voice of God would come off the top of the Ark of the Covenant. He'd stand there and talk to God over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It said the Ark of the Covenant contained three things. What was inside the gold box? Do you remember? <coughs> a map. No, Pastor Simon. There was no map inside the box. The manna. What manner of manna? Ah, sorry. The manna. What's manna? 
The Bible says it's the bread sent from heaven. Didn't Jesus say of himself, you ate not that bread from heaven, but I am the true bread from heaven. That's Jesus Christ. How about what else was in the box? No, another, another, there were no more maps. Please, Pastor Simon, stop it. There were no maps. Yes. The blood was sprinkled on it, that's true, but inside the box. Sister Owen? Pastor Simon said, Harold. There's no Harold in the box. <laughs> Pastor Simon, look, what have you been teaching them here? Harold, Harold was not there. Sister Elwin. Yes, Aaron's rod that budded. Do you remember the story? There was a dispute about who the true priest was going to be, the high priest was going to be. So 12 leaders put their walking sticks on the ground, their, their rods on the ground, and overnight, 11 of them didn't change. One sprouted, had flowers, produced almonds, and budded. And so they put that stick inside the box. Why? Because it was a miracle. This is a miracle demonstration that this is the right guy, the right man. And that's what Jesus Christ is all about. When he cometh, shall the Christ do more miracles than this man? The Bible tells us. No. It says Jesus Christ was up there. He was healing people, raising people from dead, walking on water. A wonderful, wonderful, powerful reminder that he's the God on earth, the word made flesh. The word was with God and is God. And, of course, what's the third thing in the box? Mabel's throne. Mabel's phone. Mabel's phone. Mabel's phone. <laughs> Mabel's phone. <laughs> was this last Sunday's talk or something you did? <laughs> No, the third item in the box, Phil. Ten Commandments, that's right. It was two, two tables of stone, and uh, on the stone were written, of course, the law of God. And uh, the covenant, it's referred to as the covenant, the contract. And, of course, Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. That's who he is. And when they used to take this uh, golden box out, do you remember what they used to cover it? They take it out of the temple. What did they cover it with? Do you remember? They used to cover it with, with, with badger skins. And badger skins are very plain. There's nothing fancy about it. It's not like a tiger skin or a uh, what's another very famous skin, a leopard skin or something or other. Pastor Simon said rabbit skin. No, not rabbit skin, Pastor Simon. It's covered with badger skin. And the whole idea was it was to make it look very plain, very unobvious. So you have this amazing golden box with three miracle experiences on the inside and you have it covered with something very plain like Jesus Christ came to earth to live amongst men. He just looked like another guy. He just looked like the bloke up the road at number 15, you know, the carpenter's son. If you need a, if you need a, a couple of chairs built, go and see him. He'll sort it out for you. You might get a good deal. Mention me that you heard it from me and you might get 10%. That's what he was. A carpenter's son. And the Bible teaches us, of course, that far from being very plain, he was, it says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. When Jesus came to earth, it tells us that it was predicted his name was going to be what? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God 
with us. God with us. Wow. How about the name they actually gave him? The angel said, no, 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 call him this. Jesus, which, of course, means what? Jehovah, my saviour. He's God with us. He's Jehovah, my saviour. We know all the Jehovahs of the Old Testament, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Ra, and so on and so on and so on. All the different Jehovahs. In the New Testament, it's Jehovah, my saviour, came to earth to rescue me. Thank God, all the people said. And a little like the story of the Ark of the Covenant, you know, being carried from one spot amongst the Philistines to another, Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. He was different to them. He represented the the purity and the power and the righteousness of God. And they're just flesh. They're just human beings. They're going to stick him in a pagan temple, for goodness sake. Uh, Tragedy. And, of course, Jesus came and he preached and he preached and he preached for three and a half years. Um, And it says that he came to gather his own together. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. You know, we are kind of the spiritual Israel now in the spiritual sense. All the people said, he comes to us, we're happy to welcome him back to town. Thank God. Uh, We know what he truly represents. But the Philistines, a little bit like today's people, just don't recognize that. Over to Colossians, if you will, just for a moment. There's kind of another dimension to this. Jesus said, if they if they hear you, it's because they would hear me. If they don't listen to you, it's because they wouldn't listen to me. Now, Jesus Christ was taken back up to the Father back in about 30 AD or so, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And in his place, he left us. And all the people said, now it's you and me going around telling people what God expects. We're representing the covenant of God. We're representing the power of God. The, the authority of God. And Colossians chapter 1 tells us that this is a, a, an, an astonishing mystery, verse 25, whereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, this astonishing, you know, spectacular thing that God has done is Christ is now in you. And we now go out among the Gentiles. The Bible says, amongst whom we shine as lights in the world. It says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. It talks about us being like lights on a hilltop. It describes us as being uh, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not a big you know, group of ambassadors here particularly, but, but we are nonetheless ambassadors. We take the word of God out. I mean, if you think about it, there's only one American ambassador in Australia, lives over in Canberra. I mean, there's probably a a consul general here somewhere, but, uh, but, but you know what I'm trying to say. There's not a lot of ambassadors sent out for every country. We are ambassadors for the Lord now, and we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. John chapter 14, if you will, Jesus explained in, in real detail how we were going to get Christ in us, this mystery, this mysterious experience. This, this experience that other people can't quite understand and can't quite fit together. In John chapter 14, now this is a, about a four-chapter discussion John records here of Jesus 
uh, sayings just at the Last Supper. It's, it's a very long, long, long session that he has here. John chapter 14, we'll pick it up in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says here. Now, not the Ten Commandments and not the 613 other commandments, Jesus' commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but you see me, and because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Which day? The day that he sends the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. The Bible says there's only one Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in you. And at that point in time, he says here, uh, at that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. All of a sudden, the kind of all the three bits have been put together is what his little message here is. And, of course, we love it in the Revival Fellowship because we, we baptise people because they're, they're sinners and they need to be baptised, as the Bible says. And then after that, we pray with them to receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. They speak in other tongues. And all of a sudden, that day, that hour, that minute, that second, Jesus is in them, they're in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. And all the people said, it's all suddenly completed. Then a little like that uh, unwanted Israelite, uh, you know, uh, um, equipment, the Ark of the Covenant, we go back out into the world and the world doesn't recognise us, doesn't understand it, uh, and, and quite often is hostile to what we have to say. But we receive the blessing. And that was the point of that story too, that the Israelites, when they got the Ark of the Covenant back, they got all the blessing of God associated with it. You know, we've been healed. We've been set free from our addictions and our issues and our problems. We've been lifted up from our old lives and so forth. We've been set free from religion and all that sort of silly nonsense, being given the peace of God, the joy of the Spirit, the love of the Holy Ghost, and it's set us on a completely new course. Thank God. At that day, verse 20, at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will, I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? In other words, it, it is an interesting paradox. How is it that we're going to sort of see you, but no one else will. We're going to experience you, but no one else will, those nearby. And, of course, the answer is when you receive the Spirit, you speak in tongues, and it's your experience. You take it home. It's not for other people. And Jesus, verse 23, And Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever 
I've said unto you. So Jesus makes it clear. It's this Holy Ghost experience that is actually going to be the fulfillment of uh, not just Christ in you, but in that sense, us going back to the world and fulfilling the type of the Ark of the Covenant sent out amongst the Philistines there. Uh, we are blessed. We are wonderfully saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Our life is assured with Christ. Our future is assured with him. The Bible tells us that if the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall make alive or quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And all the people say.